Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to Rumpets. How's it going there, buddy? Uh, it's going great. I'm just busy instructing the chat room as to our new relationship with Renault. Yeah, I got a little bit of a... I wouldn't say it was a telling off in any way, shape, or form, but I waded in on the brilliant uh, livery designer's tweet, uh, Sean Bull, uh, who works for Renault F1 complimented his livery uh, I, and then I, I showed off my iRacing livery which is a stripped down chassis look because I always say Mist Apex we're like the uh, the cool runnings bobsled at the Olympics the one before they get the fancy paintwork um, so I showed off that designed for us by the brilliant bubbly chunks uh, Ian Erasmus in our Slack group uh, and Sean pointed out that whilst he's a, a listener of the show and enjoys it on his commute to Renault he might enjoy it slightly better if we were less mean uh, about Renault. Yeah, and I think maybe the time has come. I mean, after all, one of my favorite drivers is now finally driving for them, as should have been the case last year. And uh, as a manufacturer, you you do have to sort of hope that they work it out. Because if we have four teams at the top instead of three, the racing is just going to be that much better. We'll get onto a little bit of Renault after we introduce our guest. But first, Matt, I have to say, you know, our hair is long, our tempers with our family are short, our wallets are empty, but on the plus side, I'm hoping you'll give me some plus sides. On the plus side, uh, we've done lots of iRacing, and here we, all to ha- here we all are to have a nice chat. Well, that's good, yeah, and it definitely hasn't upset anyone in my house that I've done loads of iRacing recently. But I have to say, the Mist Apex community, including the iRacers, has been really strong, and that has kept me sane during the lockdown. But apart from that, like the Facebook group, we had a massive couple of posts in our Mist Apex podcast Facebook group, learned a lot about people, a lot of interaction uh, going on there. So I might do a few more 
chat threads on there. Uh, loads of cool DMs. Our patron Slack group, which has always been a great place to hang out, has unbelievably, Matt, swelled. We have swelled with patrons during the lockdown, which is uh, unexpected and incredibly uh, encouraging. Like I just wasn't expecting patrons to sign up when there's no races, but they have been, and that's made our Slack group community fantastic. Yeah, it, it does kind of make you feel like you're really on the right track with your project. Although, to be fair, you know, we are offering something that no other outlet really has during these, uh, should we say, dark times? What's that? Challenging times? Fantastic I don't know. hair? Is that what we're offering? What are we offering? Uh, we're offering community and, <laughs> and, a, and a relevant conversation about the sport, even when we don't have races, other ways to participate, other people to talk with about the thing that we all love. But no one is going to be able to enjoy until, if we're lucky, July. We'll get to that a bit later as well, Matt. Um, but I would say it's not that we're offering community. We actually, it's that we get it and we're lucky to have it. And apart from all those communities I mentioned, uh, people have been sending DMs and uh, emails. I've read every email and I think I've responded to every email as well because people have been uh, very kind and they've been, you know, talking about our place within their lockdown experience and, and when they, they listen to us and not just this show, but for Remain Indoors as well. The amount of emails we've had is unprecedented. I guess people have a bit more time perhaps to write those emails. I just want you to know that they have done absolute wonders in encouraging us to keep going with F1 content here, but also with our, quite frankly, ridiculous non-F1 show Remain Indoors to keep doing that two or three times a week as well. Those emails have really helped. They have. It's it's always good because it, it can, you you do sometimes feel like you're in a bit of a void and the positive feedback is usually what's lacking. Usually the only people who write us emails are the people who hate what we're doing. Yeah. And while that can be entertaining, it's nice to have people say, no, nah, really, you are making a difference in my life and it's positive. Please keep going. Yeah, I keep, you know, getting people saying, well, thanks for being there. And well, to those people, you're welcome. Thanks for keeping me going. Uh, that's not going to change. We're not going anywhere. Missed Apex and Remain Indoors podcast will be here for the duration of the lockdown and hopefully beyond. If you want us to support us, you can buy Matt and I a pint by going to mistapexpodcast.com and buying us a pint in the tip jar. That's much appreciated. Or you can be a patron and join our patron community by going to patreon.com forward slash mistapex. Remember, we don't have a big company or media group behind us. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a show before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And I'm joined in the shed as well by the best race driver to ever adorn the shed, Brad. I, I think, you know, I was going to say like best driver ever. I'm not that informed on the industry, but definitely in the shed, Brad. You're number one. Thank you. That's very, very kind of you. Well, we think you're good. We're impressed. And it looks now um, like you are setting about to become the king of iRacing. Uh, I've known you for a couple of years, Brad. When you decide to do something, everybody else who does that thing needs to be worried. You're, you're stupidly focused. I think there's something wrong with your brain. Are you king of iRacing yet? No, unfortunately not. Um, and I'm never going to be one of the top guys because I'm just lacking the final little bit that... Um, that makes you one of the pro esports guys, but I'm very happy to be on the cusp of a 5,000 I rating, if that means anything to anyone. Um, so that's what I'm working on at the moment. 
Well, I would say if if we had higher I ratings, we should do that same thing to him that the Twitter followers did to you, Spanners. We should just go and keep on tagging him in races right when he gets close to 5,000 just for fun. Okay. Um. Apparently, I don't want to tell tales. I don't want to like spill the beans on private conversations, but uh, I hear that while well, you were in VR doing uh, Nürburgring uh, practice in the endurance races, Brad, Alex Van Jean sent you a Oculus friend request because he what and the, comp, the I'll, I'll say why it was because he, he wanted to play rec room paintball with you and apparently you were not very happy at having that block your view so the reason i wasn't very happy is because it wasn't a nurburgring practice it was the first stint of a very fraught official <laughs> um digital nurburgring endurance That's series really um which was you know televised live and we were in the fight for um almost the podium positions and i just had this random um, snapping me out of the virtual world friend request pop up right in front of my eyes and wouldn't go away all the way through hats and back. Um, so anyway, it didn't affect it in the end, but I was shouting, um, if anyone can hear me, tell Van Jean not to message me, please. Uh, so that obviously got back to us as well, because we were all chatting because we all wanted to play Rec Room Paintball together. And I nearly sent you a friend request as well. And it took all of my mental strength to not then send you. And we were all having the same thought, which is, we need to like post Brad's Oculus details in the Slack in the Slack group, but we didn't do it. But just so you know, I really, really wanted to. Well, thank you for not because we had a really good race at the end. So um, it has been a it's been a month of virtual world, hasn't it? It's just constant sim everything. Well, for you, Brad, but I think you might just have a better wife than me. I'm not allowed at all. It's terrible. The lockdown sucks. Uh, but Brad. When you do your racing, obviously you do the Nürburgring in real life uh, in uh, one of the categories. I forget which category it is for the VLN. So it's been SP2T the last couple of years uh, and TCR, which is a very similar thing. So obviously they're very different disciplines. Um, but I would say like, on a percentage wise, how, how close to the experience of being competitive at VLN at the Nürburgring do you, do you get out of iRacing? really really similar it's um wow there's there are long periods certainly during the race um that i did yesterday saturday um where you're completely lost especially because it's vr but not only that because it's so well made the the track is so correct every bump is in exactly the right place even to the point where we've got the real race director from vlm which is now called nls nurburgring langstrack in siri the real race director giving us the real driver briefing with all the drivers in a virtual room on a um, on a chat like um, like a chat we're having now where people can ask questions and clarify rules and it's it's taken that seriously that you can't help but feel it's real that's uh, that's incredible to hear because obviously like with all the recent stuff that, about lando and stuff that I will I will talk about because the twitter sphere was pretty toxic about that that whole race last night the the comment that keeps coming up over and over again is, oh, it's just a video game. Oh, why do you care? It's just a video game. Uh, which I just think these these people who are saying that, even from my limited experience with a a very uh a decent but you know commercial like shop bought wheel, not a pro not pro kit at all, um, quite soft pedals and a an off the shelf VR headset. To me, I feel so immersed in that competition and so immersed in the sport of it that it feels to me very similar to missed apex karting. But some people get angry about that. They go, no, it, it, it's, it's not comparable. So it's interesting to hear you say how close it is. 
yeah, I, I really don't buy this. Oh, it's just a game. Don't get too stressed about it because you could use the exact same argument in the real sport. It's just a sport. Don't, don't get wound up about it. And you can take that until the most extreme example and nothing really matters unless it's a real life or death thing. People care about these things. They practice for them. They put the hours in and there are people investing their time and, and energy in, in observing it and getting interested and involved so it matters to people and that's that's what matters well basically if you are listening to to this and you're one of those people if a if a, a driver who races at the level brad does um can says to you you know that he gets a similar experience from going on the sims maybe you have a little rethink and and not be so dismissive of it to me it feels like a real sport and, and you know i know it, it sounds like we're going to talk about esports quite a bit we will from time to time however we're not going to dwell on that straight away. Uh, I want to quickly talk about Renault, Matt, and why they seem to be my boogie team. Now, we're going to talk about cheating. That's not related to why we're talking about Renault, I promise. Uh, we're going to talk about cheating, then some more um, some more driver setup stuff and tyre stuff with Brad. Um, but when uh, Sean Bull said, you know, be nicer to Renault, I thought, oh, yeah, no, I am quite mean about Renault. And a bit tongue-in-cheek when I say everyone's 10th favourite team, but I do get a feeling that they've got that kind of panto bad guy image within F1, within the sport. And so I tried, I stopped and I went, you know, I've been giving them that for a while now. I need to stop and reassess why I think that. And I think it's mostly down to Cyril uh, uh, Beatable. Yeah, and I would say also in particular our relationship with uh, Matthew Carter may have slightly colored our vision of Mr. Cyril. He may have mellowed over the years. He may not be the bad guy that we know him to be through Mr. Carter's stories. Life is complex. There is the occasional nuance and bit of gray, which I'm sure we will talk about in relationship to quote unquote cheating later on. Uh, but as a team, Renault has won championships. They produced engines that have won multiple, multiple championships, and they have a pretty exciting driver lineup coming this year. I mean, a lot of people are Daniel Ricciardo fans, or Ricardo fans. Ricciardo. You no? can say it is said no? three Too ways. Far? Three ways are technically uh, I, correct. I figure if I say it enough ways, everyone will be happy. That's how, that's how I believe uh, it works, yeah. <laughs> um, and I know that plenty of people are Sebastian Ocon fans as well, including the inestimable Gemma Hatton. Esteban. We, well, we, we call him Esteban round our way, but if you want to call him Sebastian, then that's your choice. Oh, did I say Sebastian? Yeah, no, you I said, I wrong said thing. Esteban. I refuse to believe that. <gasps> well, let's never check. Let's just assume you were right. That's fine. Uh, but, uh, but you can believe the Matthew Carter story of them squaring off in a hotel in Singapore when you see him like marching to Toro Rosso and accusing them of this, that or the other. Um, and then I, and then, you know, the whole story with they had a handshake on Ocon. And then that didn't go through. I think he has he has painted himself into that corner of being the bad guy. And then that reflects down on the team. So I'm going to try and readjust that and not judge the whole team down at Endstone by my opinion of um, uh, of Cyril Abitable. However, I think also there was a general disappointment. They were meant to come into the sport as a works team and shake up the top three. They They definitely haven't done that. The progress has been slow. And actually, I think there was something about the, the 2014, 2015 hybrid efforts from, from Renault that kind of made me, just gave me that kind of, uh, feeling. And 
it just it, there was an air of negativity around them as an engine manufacturer, Red Bull jumping ship, Toro Rosso jumping ship. And I think all these things have just combined that have made me not like Renault. But I, w- I will try. See, I've said I'll try to be nicer, and then I've just been really horrible. But there's lots of positives. There's lots of positives. They've got two great drivers, even though I secretly suspect that Daniel Ricciardo will later be revealed to be the bad guy all along, because I think he's secretly evil. But at the moment, they've got two charismatic drivers. They've got a hardworking team with great history. So maybe I should get behind them a bit more. Yeah, or at least give them a decent chance. Now they have two new drivers and theoretically funding in place for a proper effort, at least for the new regulations, which aren't happening now anyway. So who knows? Who knows? It's hard to know. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you very much uh, to Sean for that input. Great liveries as always. And a quick plug for the designer of my livery, uh, Ian Erasmus. Um, you can hire him. Uh, you can you can go to uh, uh, our website. Uh, where is it? I've forgotten where it is on the website. Just email me, spannersready at gmail.com if you want an iRacing livery. I'll hook you up with that guy. Now, guys, uh, I am going to quickly bring onto the call uh, somebody who has been uh, key in our in our launching of Missed Apex podcast as a a place you can go and read things. It's something I tried about three years ago as well, all in a drive to make us, you know, a more mainstream organization. Here, read quality things at mistakepexpodcast.com. Hey, look, F1, we're not just some idiots in a shed doing podcasts. We're also trying to be uh, an outlet for, for written material as well. When we've tried it in the past, we've not had the personnel who have been able to commit the time. Sometimes it wasn't always of that quality. Uh, and and that's down to us, you know, attracting and saying to decent working journalists, hey, we're a kind of a thing, but now we're a little bit more of a thing, like a tiny bit more of a thing, and we can reach out to people like uh, William Dodds. William, welcome to the call. Hi, Spanish. How's it going? Uh, it's going really well. Um, you've been contributing articles uh, for the last month or so to Missed Apex podcast. So uh, first of all, thank you very much uh, for, for doing that. Um, and, uh, you know, you're a, you're a proper journalist as well. I'm only hesitating because I'm trying to deal with taking callers and I've messed up my video. Uh, but, um, you know, you've had some great interviews with, uh, some Formula, some W series drivers and you've done a recent article on, on cheating. Tell us a bit about yourself and your writing. Yeah. So, uh, I've kind of been working as a freelance sports journalist for about six months now. Um, after previously, doing some journalism within like trade sector but um yeah so i'm a big fan of motorsport and it's always something i wanted to do and luckily i kind of had this opportunity to speak with a couple of w series drivers and yeah that's how i kind of got involved with these interviews and yeah, i've been a long time listener to missed apex so i thought why not when i heard that you were looking for some writers uh, absolutely and we're still looking for for writers to come along and and check out you know check out what will's doing uh, and see if you would like to throw some stuff at missed apex podcast uh, dot com. We've also got a copy editor as well, William, so you don't have to rely on uh, me waiting, you know, trying to muster the emotional effort to read a thing and then proofread it. And anyone who follows my Twitter account will understand how hard that is for me. Uh, and you're also helping us out with some, some copy editing as well. Uh, tell us a bit about your recent article on cheating. Yeah, so it's something that has always really interested me about, about Formula One, it's something where it's kind of commonplace, not just on track, but also kind of between the teams as well with, with, uh, always kind of trying to get the upper hand, uh, in terms of the technical regulations. 
And I think there's just some, a different way that it's viewed in, in Formula One potentially to, to other sports. You know, I look at something like diving in football and it seems to be kind of like universally hated by fans. But then you kind of sometimes F1 drivers almost like praised for, for their kind of willingness to, to take it right to the line. I think that, you know, look at something like multi 21. It's not like a cheating thing necessarily, but it's, it's kind of like a sign that Vettel necessarily at that point was so dominant that he was willing to disobey his team. I guess another one that, that always brings to mind is, is kind of like Crashgate with, uh, Fernando Alonso basically being gifted a win by his, his driver kind of deliberately crashing into war. And I always think that this is kind of interesting, uh, part of F1. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to go through some examples of, of all the, the most prominent cheating and, and where we think that falls into the overall scope of the sport. But the interesting you said, that thing you said there is, you know, comparing it to football and diving. Um, whereas in the UK, um, you're too young to remember, but in the nineties, certainly, uh, it was very much when we got back into the European competition, it was like, Oh, look at those Europeans. They're deliberately falling down to try and win a penalty. Whereas in the UK, it was very much seen as, um, you know, uh, bad sportsmanship. That's, I think that's changed now. Uh, I think it's fair to say, but the, the attitude, say, for example, in Syria with the Italians was if you managed to fool the referee, well done. You played the game as well as it could be played. Um, so F1 being an international sport, you have to deal with, you know, cheating not only, uh, from the perceptions outside and inside, but within the different cultures around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's why potentially the, the view in F1 is maybe slightly more, more, um, more sympathetic, maybe. Um, you know, I think uh, the Premier League, especially as you, as you mentioned, has a real dim view of, of diving, but in F1, I think also because of the kind of hyper competitive nature and the multiple fronts upon which people are competing as well, that's also a big, a big part of where it creeps in. Thanks very much for popping on the call. I know you're not in your full, uh, glorious setup yet, Will, but we <laughs> will get you back on, uh, before F1, uh, starts, uh, back again, which possibly could be at the end of July. But tell people where, apart from the writing on mistapexpodcast.com, where else can people find you? Yeah, so pretty much I post everything I do on on Twitter, uh, generally about F1 and different forms of motorsport. Um, so yeah, just uh, follow me there and check out my stuff. Thank you very much, Will. I'll ask you to hang up on the call. I'll catch up with you soon, uh, probably in paper form. So if you are uh, somebody who has some journalistic experience and you feel like helping us get on track as somewhere you can read articles, uh, do email me spannersready at gmail.com. Uh, let's go to Brad then. Brad, uh, with the w- when it comes to cheating, how do you feel as a, a racing driver about it? Is there any element of like fair play, or are you literally after every second, every slight advantage you can get, and be damned if if people judge that to be bad? It really, really depends on what you mean specifically by cheating, because I think different people will have different ideas of what actually constitutes cheating. Um, so if it's, if it's something which is just finding a loophole, which a different team or driver haven't found, that's a little bit different to knowingly breaking a rule and trying to hide the fact that you've done that, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, there are different types of cheating. Absolutely right. So what we're going to do is we're going to start uh, with the example of Lando Norris, and I know we're using esports, but I think a lot of it 
is transferable and applicable. Uh, we'll use that example, Matt. Um, but I'm just going to go through how I see the major categories of cheating uh, when I sat and, uh, and just tried to list them in my head. So there's a whole kind of driver category of cheating, which I would equate to a foul in football. So it's not really cheating, but it's punishable under the rules. So if you've got something, Brad, I think, I don't know if this makes sense, you know, like if you go in for a hard tackle and you don't get the ball in football, you just collect the player, you're not like, oh, you're a terrible person, but you might get a yellow card. So that's the kind of, that's like sticking your nose in, not making the overtake, you know, that's the sort of thing where you've taken a kind of risk. You're not trying to cheat, but you've pulled a foul. Yeah. And there are other examples as well where if you don't leave a driver the appropriate room on the exit of a corner, maybe, you know, you force them off, you might get penalized for it. You might not. I wouldn't call that cheating um, so much as trying to gain an advantage, especially because it's almost like you, in fact, it's exactly like you know that there is a specific punishment normally for certain crimes, although I appreciate they're not enforced very um, consistently uh, sometimes in Formula One. But yeah, there there is a kind of a set structure. You do this thing, it's considered bad, this is your punishment. So you can almost use that as a, uh, you can kind of use them up in the same way with yellow cards. Now then, now then, right. So the, the next step then of a foul, is, and I'm going to use the football analogy because, you know, that's that's the sport where I understand the rules probably the most and they're outdated. I understand like the 1997 version of the football rules. But at that time, um, they had to bring in something called a professional foul. So if you had got past me, you'd beaten me on pace and you were sprinting towards the goalkeeper. And I thought, well, I'm never going to catch you. I'm never going to get the ball. But if I just hack your legs out from behind, you, I'll give away the foul. You can have a free kick um, and, and we're no worse off. So they had to bring in a rule that it was a professional foul. If someone had got through on goal and you decided to take their legs away, you were the last person and clearly you were deliberately fouling them to stop the movement, it would be a straight red card. So in Formula One and in racing, the professional foul equivalent uh, is, you know, something like Michael Schumacher on Damon Hill in 1994. Matt, is that you? You're on mute, bud. I was just going to chuck in there that something like brake checking would very much qualify, I think, in into corners as a professional foul. Oh, I'm just going to go a little bit slower. I'm going to get into the brakes a little bit early. Because the person behind you thinks you're breaking at the regular time. I mean, that's a ve- that's a far more malicious version of that. I think, um, but but basically, the, the the concept I'm going for with the professional foul is that you can kind of claim it was an ordinary move, but you knew full well what you were doing. You know, like Senna, Senna. Uh, my tires were going off. I had to brake ten meters early. I've heard that excuse from Formula One drivers before. So I see it as falling into that category in that you can defend what you did with an explanation that comes from driving. You said that's a much more malicious version. I would say that's a much, much softer version. Oh, is um, it? Oh, okay. You know, breaking, breaking early and, you know, kind of brake checking someone. I'd say that's the same as kind of nudging someone with your elbow in a football tackle. It's kind of like, you're not really supposed to do that, but who's really going to penalize you for it? I mean, it'd have to be pretty severe for that to be, for that to warrant a penalty. And if it's severe enough that the person has a real problem, like they hit you, you're also at a disadvantage. So that's not really a, a such a common one, I don't think. Well, the reason I bring it up is I know we're going to go talk about Lando Norris in a bit, and that's more or less exactly what we're going to be talking about. 
So yeah, I mean, let me know when we can get onto the Norris incident because it's an extremely specific um, and very well documented now in the last 24 hours incident. So <laughs> it's number one. It's number one on my examples list. But I'm just sort of trying to set the scene by what we mean by cheating. So I don't think fouls are cheating. Uh, when Verstappen, you know, before you weren't allowed to run people off, it seems like you are now, uh, was running off like Leclerc um, off the edge of the corners. Uh, on the exits. And actually, I think when Hamilton used to do it to Rosberg, I always felt that was out of order. He like really ran him wide on the, uh, on the exit of turn one in Canada one year. And it just seemed like it was the sort of thing that should be a clear foul that should be penalized. To be clear, I, I don't think that's cheating. So that is not classified in, in what I'm saying is cheating. When it goes to the professional foul, when you know full well what you're doing and you're, you're making that, you're, you're, deliberately creating a, a situation where you you do an apparent foul, but it was on purpose, yeah, then we're starting to go more into cheating, Matt. Um, but then without the off-track stuff, then, then we get into all the technical things as well, and then the sporting stuff too. Yay. I love the technical stuff. Um, I don't know. I've thought about it a lot. When you talk about cheating, I think there's taking advantage of gray areas. And for me, a, a wonderful example of that would be Red Bull with their super flexible wings. We'll get to loads and of examples here. And then there's out-and-out out cheating, uh, which also we could use Red Bull as an example, where they had those deflecting uh, wing adjusters that would automatically stall the front wing at high speed. That was an absolute violation. They just knew they'd never get caught at it until someone ratted them out, as usually happens in Formula One, versus, oh, I found a gray area or something that's not specifically uh, prohibited, therefore I will do it, even though I know the way the rule is written they don't want me to. Uh, those are, to me, the two different technical levels of yeah. cheating. And, and also, like, you have to sprinkle into that the fact that there is a culture of gamekeeper and hunt and poacher. So the teams are kind of encouraged to, and it is part of the sport, to try and find clever ways around the technical regulations. So it's not like, oh, you you did the double diffuser and the spirit of the rules was trying to get rid of that. Therefore, you are a cheat and you're scum and I hate you. Uh, it's not that at all. It's more of a, oh, 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 look what you did. Oh, I see what you did there. But no, no more. So this isn't meant to kind of vilify people, but it's a sport. And a sport has rules. And cheating is generally where we have decided that that is not acceptable. Brad? The the only um real, very strong clarification in terms of cheating that I'd just like to add as kind of a, an upper limit and then work back from that is uh, the most obvious one for me in karting is somebody using an engine, which is bigger than specified in the regulations. You know, it's they, you're supposed to submit your, your engine that you're using in the race um, with its sealed tag or whatever, for example. And what you're really doing is in your trailer, you're taking that tag off and putting it on an engine, which is legal, submitting that one. And then when you go into the race, you put your bigger engine on um, that's been bored out and no one can tell unless they strip it down. That's yeah. kind of a clear cheat. And I'm sure obviously there's similar power related things in Formula One we could talk about. Um, and then anything more gray, I, I completely agree with you is it's more of a, a rules interpretation, but more power or a bigger engine than you're allowed is, is a nice. Well, an another very clear cut one as well, Matt, and that comes up time and time again in Formula One is manipulating the weight. So if you deliberately go out of your way to fool the scrutineers that you're a certain weight and then 
you then race with a different weight because you've deliberately changed the conditions. I would definitely class that as cheating in the same way that Brad has said, because you're, you're taking a, a set rule, appearing, pretending to have adhered to that specific rule and then gone out of your way to then not do it. So if I go onto the driver scales with a bunch of, uh, uh, pepperami sausages and pot noodles, and kittens hidden in my race suit, Brad. And then when I get off the waist scales, I go, shoot, shoot, go on, go away, go away. Uh, then that is clearly cheating. Can I, can I give an example that's just popped into my head? I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Of, yeah. um, of the way that I've just realized my personal view on, on what counts as cheating can be very easily changed depending on whether or not it gives me an advantage. <laughs> and you've just mentioned weight. I, I've been involved in a cart race, which I will not, um, I won't specify which one it was. So I don't want my, my race win stripped from me if we did win it. I can't remember where there was a set weight that you had to be as a, as a driver average. So it was a team. And I just wore really, really heavy clothes to the point where I wore my shoes that have lead in the bottom of them that, you know, there was no specific rule against what shoes you could wear to be weighed. And I weighed in a lot heavier than I raced at. And my reasoning that my mental gymnastics I performed, which <laughs> I still kind be. of hold to, yeah, okay. was if the rules enforcement is weak enough that they don't make you <laughs> weigh in your race kit, then then anyone else could be doing exactly the same thing as I was doing. And I'm sure a lot of competitors, drivers and other team personnel will have that same mindset in, in every sport. If the rules enforcement isn't strong enough, well, it's their fault that we're cheating. Yeah, well, no, it's not your fault. If the regulations don't specifically exclude uh, or demand that you be weighed in X clothing versus Y clothing, then you're allowed to wear any clothing you absolutely positively like. I do this all the time when I fly internationally, which I don't anymore because no one's flying internationally anymore. But you get my point. I would take all of my heavy things, put them in my coat pockets before they weighed my bags, just so that I didn't have to pay extra. Uh, for their random luggage weight requirements. It was not prohibited by their agreements. And it was never an issue that I did this thing. And I think if we're talking about weight, I probably were you talking about the bar hidden fuel tank there, Spanners, or the Tyrrell water tank? Because I'm not sure which one you were, or was it both? Well, I've got a few because I asked our patrons and on Twitter, and I think it was uh, Darren that pointed out one of them and somebody on Twitter who I'll credit later pointed out the, the Tyrrell one. Um, should we go to the tech examples in a, in a little while? Cause I, I think I want to start with the driver ones, if that's okay, Matt. Um, yeah, yeah. so firstly, like Brad, um, that is definitely cheating. I, I'm amazed at how the moral gymnastics you've gone through. I'm, I'm really, really impressed. If, if you could help me justify some of my minor crimes as well, that would be fantastic. I could really do with your help. I, I still don't actually consider that cheating because there's other people in the queue in front of me wearing big coats. I've got no idea how heavy that particular coat is. Why should I be at a disadvantage? Because oh, I'm I trying to be done. clean. You yeah. know, I'm trying to play to some unwritten, particularly clean version of the rules. I, I, I do concede that actually putting lead in my shoes is probably taking it to an extreme. But if the rules are not enforced or if there aren't rules written to cover these kind of examples, then people will take advantage of them. Which is why in my own series, uh, in the BRKC, we, we go to great lengths to completely cover loopholes because I know I would, I would try and find ways around things. And I know yeah. the other drivers will as well. Excellent. Uh, Brad, maybe after the show, you and me, uh, we can go through some, some moral justifications that will let me think that I might get into heaven when I'm definitely, definitely not going to go. But I think with your brain power, we can find a way around it. 
yeah, I, I, I'll stay off of um, that particular subject. Uh, Brad, then. Um, oh, in fact, before we go to Lando Norris, I've got another example of where you definitely cheated. Where, Matt, missed Apex Karting, set the scene. Uh, there we are, yellow flag, and there is a protest from our very own Alex Van Jean that a certain <clears throat> driver, who shall remain mostly nameless but may in fact be on this very show, sped under yellows and picked up nearly, was it a second? I don't recall. There was a big gap, and then by the end of the yellows, there was a little gap, and Van Jean was not happy, Brad. Yeah, he um he really did overslow during those yellows, didn't he? Um, <laughs> I know we've covered this ground a lot of times, but... Unless again, it's it's rules enforcement. If if I was, if there was penalisation for for that infringement, if someone considers that I was going too fast and I was penalised for it, I wouldn't have done it. Um, but there wasn't any, so I did. Um, there's no speedo on the go karts. There's no one giving you a specific set speed. In my mind, as long as I'm under control, I'm not having a crash or a spin or causing any more incidents under the yellows. Um, then you know, lifting off a bit is all you need to do. You're going to do the bare minimum that you that you need to, given the enforcement. Uh, that's very much, if I don't get caught, it's not cheating school of driving around the track. But I, I'm I not going to... Hang on, let him answer that. I don't know don't. about it. I'm not getting caught because there are people watching. You know, the marshals are watching me. I, I'm caught. I'm I'm in view of all of the officials. So it's not really about not getting caught. It's about um, what they are allowing in that particular event. And that was clearly allowed. Speed limit's 55 miles an hour. I drive 80. I don't get a ticket. Is that cheating or did I just not get caught because they didn't notice it this time around? Oh, hang I on. mean, you were taking wait, 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 a wait, risk. Wait. Poor analogy, because in that scenario, you would have to, you would, you would be doing 80 on a motorway where you knew there was a policeman stationed in a cubicle every hundred meters monitoring speed. There were, there were marshals around there, marshals that are generally renowned as a good standard at that venue at Butmore Park, and they deemed uh, Brad's speed to be not breaking the rules under yellows, whereas Alex uh, Alex sort of took it quite literally and said, well, half speed, like sort of walking pace, prepared to stop. So the, there was definitely lots of interpretation, room for interpretation there, Brad, is is the point. And uh, I think Jeansy felt, he felt betrayed and he took his revenge later, which was funny. Yeah, he interpreted it wrong. Anyway... <laughs> That was good fun. And then later on, he, I've got the video evidence, like if Alex wants to deny it. Later on, he just cut a corner and just like swide, side swiped you. It's hilarious. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, so there, there's another really nice, clear um, cheating um, example, which is really uncommon because where can you really cut a corner in, in modern motorsport and just get away with it? Obviously, drivers are allowed to run wide and sometimes certain runoff areas are, are deemed as part of the track for whatever reason. You're allowed to go past the white lines here, but not over here. Um, but yeah, corner cutting is in some, some, oh, I guess, esports, if there's not a very good off track, like, uh, off track system like iRacing would have or some go-kart races. I'm sure you could get away with it if they were low enough level. So corner cutting is a nice, clear example of, of cheating, I'd say, as well. Well, that brings us to the Lando Norris example, I guess, Matt. Uh, we we actually were talking, I think it might have been offline, about the IndyCar uh, eSports effort, and we were actually saying that that was one of the, the better events, like one of the better series run, Matt. So America has done you proud kind of until last night yeah i think it was disappointing for a lot of people um and i'll i'll tell you my personal disappointment about this is that uh of all the people graham rahal who i know is not everyone's favorite his actual real life indycar sponsor has been supporting him in these e-races and this was a race where they raised twenty thousand dollars for veterans charities and no one is talking about it because of the oh shall we say ill-mannered behavior of certain drivers in the race or whatever their justifications might or might not have been okay so specifically we are talking about uh frenchman simon uh, the name's gone out my head pagino pagino so pagino uh was basically on the outside uh with uh, an, an another another indie car to the left of him it's on an oval lando will norris power. was it willpower Oh, right. So, so Lando Norris comes up the inside on an oval. Uh, he's got pace. He's got fresher tires, I believe. Comes up the inside of the two. So then it would be power that reacted to Lando coming underneath him, went out wide, lost control and hit, um, and hit, sorry, Pagano. 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 Right. So hit Pagano. Now, it, apparently in real IndyCar, I've not got into it. I, I have to say, I, I like their social media. I like, the fun things their drivers do off track. So I keep meaning to go and watch IndyCar. No, so it wasn't Will Power, was it, Brad? Yeah, it was Ray Hall. Sorry, I think they have similar silver liveries. My apologies. No, fair enough. So I, I have been meaning to go and watch more more IndyCar, but I, I haven't. Um, but I believe in, in the ovals, there's some kind of like etiquette that I don't understand and possibly Lando Norris didn't understand that you're not meant to go three wide at certain points. So uh, Pagino felt like he was wronged, Matt. He felt like that accident was caused by Lando Norris doing something dangerous. And then later on in the race was, uh, well, he was filmed on his own Twitch stream saying, let's go get Nando. Let's take Lando out. Like he literally says, let's take Lando out. And his spot was like, yeah, wicked, mate. That is laughs and chuckles in it. Let's go do it. And then he, he, he quite, quite blatantly, when I'm not even going to entertain his, oh no, I was just slowing for the pits. Quite blatantly, waits for Lando to come round to lap him, lifts off. Lando, Lando hits him, uh, takes him out of the race. Uh, th- there we go, Matt. I think I've summarised that. I've set the scene there, haven't I? 
Yeah, I, I would just throw in the interesting caveat that this is what happens when you have people who've only raced on a sim versus people who've raced in a track on real life. There are things you can do in a sim that you couldn't get away with in real life, or you wouldn't take that kind of a risk with other people's lives. And it, it's an interesting point of um, intersection between the two uh, slightly different disciplines. And it'd be, I'd be curious to get Brad's take on racing a track he knows in real life and whether or not he found that slowed him down compared to people who just knew it as a sim. Ah, great racer. question. Great question. Yeah. Do you, do you ever get like a disadvantage because you know, ah, in real life, there's a crosswind even, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. There's, there's absolutely something to be said about that. I, I think it works both ways though. I feel I've had advantages from racing in certain real tracks where you, you just kind of, if the track is real enough on the sim, then your real world experience should be an advantage rather than disadvantage. But I totally take your point. Uh, If you come at something completely fresh and, and it is a little different to the real version, then maybe you're not, your judgment isn't clouded or you're, you're not kind of, you don't have a bias towards driving it in the way you always do it in real life. Maybe you can find a little extra edge or maybe Lando Norris is just a better driver than the other people there or certainly better on Sims. Um, but in terms of the incident itself, I've watched back the, uh, I didn't think anything of it, the initial overtake. I just thought it was a great overtake of a driver coming through on newer tires who played a, a blinder with strategy. But watching it back over and over, I really, really don't think he did anything wrong. And I think it was just an overreaction from Rahal whether or not there was a net code where the car kind of glitches and that caused Rahal to overreact, I don't know. It certainly didn't show that on the stream. The live no. version showed Norris making a very clear, clean pass. And and it was just pure petulance from Pagano, who'd won the previous two oval races in this IndyCar virtual series, who just wanted to, you know, cause some chaos at the end. Uh, okay, there's a few things uh, to there's a few things to address there. Firstly, the the point about um coming in with a fresh perspective. My mind immediately went to Max Verstappen in Brazil, I think in 2017 or 2018 when it was wet and a lot of the other drivers had been doing cars for a long time. Perhaps Max's karting, karting skills uh, led him to kind of take more karting lines in the wet and he seemed to really boss everyone, probably except Hamilton in that race, but certainly was a lot better than Ricardo in that race, possibly because he was fresher to cars. And he brought his, you know, he wasn't bogged down in this is what you're meant to do in the wet in a in a real aero car. Yeah, he didn't have this perception of you can't go around the outside there. It, he just did whatever was the fastest way in that situation. Uh, and then going back to this um, this incident, uh, you know, it's it's really disappointing, Matt. Just from um, a commercial point of view, from a kind of uh, spectator point of view, the series had done pretty well on being like, we're all here, we're taking this seriously, but in a good, fun spirit, still understanding it's not real racing, uh, but we're here to drive and we're here to win. There was that delightful clip of one of the drivers, I think this was IndyCar, where his daughter turned the screen off midway through the midway through his race, came in and was like, Dad, was trying to ask a question, then pressed the button to get his attention and it made the screen go black and put him out of the race. You know, that, that's brilliant. That stuff was absolutely gold. Um, and it's just such a shame because... What uh, Pagano did there was like a massive rage quit. He did what a 13-year-old does on a video game and go, ah, I didn't get my way. I'm going to cross the track and smash someone out. 
almost like I was behind a safety car. Felt like the driver in front of me gave me a nasty brake check, and I got so yeah, angry. All right. <laughs> I just bashed into him. I mean, that would never happen in Formula One. Let's admit it now. No, and that was that was disgusting. Yeah, that was disgusting behavior by Sebastian Vettel. Any any anyone but a serving reigning world champion wouldn't have got away with that. So there's a few people that might have got away with that, like he did, Vettel, Alonso, Hamilton. Uh, but if that was Ocon, Perez, someone like that, they would have had the book thrown at them. Now, that was awful what Vettel did. I'm not excusing that. I'm, I'm talking about this incident, also very bad. Yeah, no, no one would... Uh- uh, no one would argue that it was very bad and it was terrible for the image of the series. Although I think what happened with Ferrucci was worse and we can talk about that later. But I do have a question for Brad. Do you think in your driver's opinion that Pagano absolutely meant to take him out of the race or do you think he simply meant to take him out of having a shot at the lead by making him jam all over the brakes? and slow down so that he would get past and not be able to catch before the end. Because that is the only unresolved thing that I don't feel I have the experience to judge from watching it. I think you as a driver might have a a different opinion about this. Yeah, I think Pagano has absolute full knowledge that if if you slow down in front of a car like that, when they're on the limit through one of those corners at Indy, they're so finely balanced. You've seen how easily all the other crashes happen. They're just where someone makes a small movement. They have to back off in the middle of a corner. Instant, massive crash. And and he knows full well. If he did just mean to slow him down, it's kind of just as bad. He's trying to influence the result of the race as a car. I mean, you all know my biggest pet hate is backmarkers racing the leaders or backmarkers affecting the race result by being careless and not keeping well out of the way of the leaders. And this is just like the most heinous example of that there is. Uh, but I, I in my s- actual opinion, yeah, go on, sorry, go on. He, he did mean to cause a... Yeah, I well, uh, I, I, the chat room, look, is, is echoing that. And they're saying, Matt, the big difference between the Vettel thing, it, it was madness. It was a flash of anger. It was bad. But here, it's really premeditated. And Pagano... Uh, hello to the chat room, by the way. Joss says uh, Pagano called it and then did it a lap or two later. Vettel just went mad and reacted. I mean, definitely in the court of law, premeditated certainly carries like a heavier sentence. I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know why I'm speaking with such authority. Uh, Brad, but you're marrying one, uh, so you could probably tell us. So the thing that makes, uh, speaking of her, which is the point I actually wanted to, to come on to. There we go. The thing that makes this all the worse is that IndyCar have done such a great job of marketing this series, of running it well and making it feel, despite the conditions we're all going through right now, making it feel like I could sit down and watch a sport on my TV on a Saturday night that that mattered enough that people have put the effort in and and you know they've got people singing the national yeah. anthem socially distancing from each other they've got um all all the kind of pre-race build up as you normally would and they've done a brilliant job of it they're using the right simulator it, it looks great on camera and you've got drivers who have really put the hours in and an exciting you know non-indycar driver coming in to add in some spice as well and doing a great job and and it just descended into you know, an Xbox public lobby at the end with um, Pagano and Ferrucci. And, and it's just, that's what's most disappointing. And the reason I say, um, the reason I said my other half um, kind of fits in with this is she was watching it with me on the sofa and enjoying it. And she was saying how great this was. And that really says something about how well the package was put together until those final few seconds. 
Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, from a, certainly from a corporate point of view as well, it will be taken very seriously. Uh, there are people in the chat room. Uh, Helios, I can respect that. You're saying, like, really? Is this what 2020 is? We're discussing salty players in an online lobby. I strongly feel it's a lot more than that. If you want to say it's just a video game, I don't think I'm ever going to change uh, change your mind. But esports as a sport can be a thing. It can be a real competitive thing. Get Strap yourself into a pair of VR goggles, get yourself onto a medium rig, and you will you will get hooked. If you're a racing fan and you have enjoyed turning a wheel in the past, you will get hooked and you'll understand why it's serious. And you'll spend a couple of hours practicing for an event, even the Missed Apex events, and if somebody has a flash of anger, as has actually only happened once in our Missed Apex, we've only identified one occasion of a driver using his car as a, a little bit of a weapon on the track to slightly show his irritation uh, on a straight by kind of nudging someone all the way off. If someone does that to you and ruins that that actual emotional investment you have in the event, I, I, that is up there with in a go-kart race, which we would all agree is a real thing. We all agree go-karting is real. It's the same as someone just being angry you overtook them and then spinning you round on purpose, which you can do. So I, I think it's up there with that, Matt, and then Brad. Yeah, no, I agree. I it it again to me it's frustrating. As bad as the Norris Pagano thing was, I think really it was the Ferrucci ask you thing that just completely devalued the experience. Uh, because yeah. at least with Pagano, it was obvious to the drivers. Yes. But it, you know, you just saw a crash happen and there was no swerving. Uh, with Ferrucci, he was like, it was like, you know, the end of those three hour practices at Okiyama where, oh, let's go to the race now. And everyone drives into the wall and you hit all your friends because you're bored and it's the end of a practice. And he just like said, oh, I'm just going to mess this up for everybody because yeah. I am a selfish. Well, I shouldn't use the word that I didn't think was a curse, but you told me it was an English curse. So I yeah, won't yeah, use yeah, it. Yeah, it but it is, starts yeah. with the letter. Yeah. T, all right. You know, the one I may mean. as well just say it now. Jeez. Uh, I don't want to give I don't want to give that driver any airtime. I, I want to go back to our, our cheating topic uh, and brad uh, you know let's let's talk about let's go through some some other examples of you know professional fouls and cheating brad yeah i have one that i really want yeah to bring let's up. do it let's do it so it's a relevant formula one um cheat Def- it's definitely a cheat um so it is when you're you deliberately make out that you've made a mistake and you then block the track so that your competitors or competitor can't complete their qualifying lap. Now, the example I'm talking about isn't Michael Schumacher at Monaco, but it is at Monaco. Yes. Um, and it's the Rosberg incident <laughs> yes. with Hamilton. Yeah. And I, th- I personally believe this is a, a real clear um, cheat example. And the reason that I'm very confident in this is all, I know we've discussed this in the past, but yeah, years, ago, years ago. Yeah. Hamilton afterwards, um, w- when quizzed about this by journalists uh, saying, you know, was that on purpose? He said, I wish you guys could see the data I've just seen. Or well, words to that effect. It was, I wish you guys could see what I've just seen. And that was after he demanded to see Rosberg's data. And, and he knows, as, as we all know, if, if you know what you're looking at when you look at a driver driving on board, he knows that Rosberg was reacting to something which wasn't happening. You know, he was trying to make out that the car was out of control when it was perfectly under control. And he just, you know, deliberately let the car run down the escape route. So there we go. There's a nice, there's another example of a thing a driver can do. I, I remember I, the last time we talked about this, and it was years ago. So I'm sure there's people who, who haven't heard you discuss it. Um, you know, if effectively that escape road is for if you have 
uh, understeered and you're not going to make the corner. And like you were talking about, you know, his movements on the wheel suggesting that you know, he wasn't he wasn't in that situation. Like he'd given it a bit of like a twiddle for show. Yeah, he he. I'd need to go back and look at exactly what his inputs were, but he basically reacted in a way no professional driver would react because it, it needs to, you know, when the car snaps or you, you have either understeer or oversteer, once your, your programming in your brain has um, decided which one of those things is happening and you subconsciously react to that negative handling trait, um, you, you can't do a different thing. The initial reaction is a reaction and Rosberg kind of forced it. He, in a very similar way to what Schumacher did at the final couple of corners years before, you can tell that He's, he's trying to make out a thing is happening. It's not really happening and doesn't really realize or it doesn't seem to remember that there are slow motion cameras that can kind of analyze these <laughs> things and his car yeah. has the data acquisition. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's actually interesting that, that I can only think of three times a driver has deliberately crashed. And actually, chat room, if you can think of any more, uh, lay them on us right now. Because deliberately crashing, Brad, seems like a very a frightening thing to do like like you you actually have to be really good so i I would rate uh schumacher's you know stopping at raskas to end qualifying and stop alonso getting the pole and rosberg doing a dummy into the lane and and pretending he had a problem uh without actually crashing and then i think the big giveaway was the fact that he put it in reverse and like uh, just to make sure there's definitely a yellow i need to be in the danger zone and reversed up the track I think you have to be pretty skilled to do that. I think the difficulty here is drivers go through their entire career, you know, 25 years or so up to that point, doing everything at every opportunity to avoid crashes. So it's against your nature to to make it happen. And you're in danger. You know, you're driving a Formula One car. PK's one, for example, he could have got really hurt. All yes. it takes for a wheel yeah. to come off and bounce up and hit him in the head. It's so easy to... To, for a, a suspension arm to puncture the cockpit or something like that. I, I believe that's why Schumacher didn't really do a very good job of it. Um, when he, <laughs> yeah, because it's dangerous. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, you can hurt yourself. So, so, okay. So the Rosberg one and the, the Schumacher one, those were two drivers taking it upon themselves to do something for themselves. So you can, un- you can kind of understand it. PK Jr. And now I, I haven't gone back and done any extra research. So I am, I'm just talking about my impression at the time and the little bits and bobs from conversations and things that have been written that I've picked up on. But that was a young driver being told by a team, like it was the team decision, and I gather, can't remember where we talked about it, but I gather that, you know, this was discussed beforehand. So beforehand, they knew that there was a possibility of causing a safety car. But Matt, I mean, telling a young driver to stick it in the wall at a street circuit like that, that's horrendous. That's way worse than the other two examples we've talked about. I agree. And the reason that it is such an accepted thing that certain people knew what was going on was because the strategy otherwise being followed by Alonzo made zero sense whatsoever. And if I can plug for a second another of our presentations, I believe it was one of your um, audiences with Joe. Virtual audience with, with Joe. Five tickets still available for... May the 8th, I think there's five tickets left. Go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash Joe. That's a proper plug now. Uh, where he discussed it at some length what was happening behind the scenes and his interpretations of that. And I agreed with what I heard, and, and I think it's correct. It, to, to purposely crash a car 
during a race um is is it's got to be well, I don't know. I just feel it is the worst possible transgression a driver or a team can ever make. Even worse than stealing documents, even worse than all of the other stuff that we all know has happened over the years. I think without beyond a shadow of a doubt, purposely crashing a car, there you go. That's got to be the biggest red flag and just goodbye. We'll get somebody else to replace you. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So, and, and, and to be fair, the sport did, did come down on that, that pretty hard. I think they were forced to once PK Jr. admitted it. Um, some years later, oh, I've, I've, um, I'm afraid I've missed, I think it's Monster Rue that I said didn't PK offer to do it in order to try and retain his seat. Okay. So he's complicit in it, but it's still negligent from the management. Are you shaking your head, Matt? I believe it was kind of the other way around. It was more because PK was definitely not doing a good job. Ah, it was okay. more of a, if you do this for us, we will not give you the axe. And it wasn't until his dad found out about it and in typical dad mode said, you did what? Yeah, that's bad, man. That it all, that it all came out. Yeah. Now, now, I remember the race clearly because it was extraordinary that uh, a, te- a, 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 a car crashes, uh, brings out a safety car. And it just so happened that it was his teammate that benefited the most. But I think that, you know, the sweet summer child I was back then before being embittered by constant arguments with you and the rest of the Mist Apex crew, I think I was just like, oh, wow, that's that's lucky. <laughs> How naive. But uh, but that is a great demonstration of this kind of cheating does go on. And this is the way that the drivers think. This is the way the drivers and the teams operate under such pressure. It's amazing, Matt, to think you know the lengths they will go to. That's an extreme version. But who knows? Who knows the risks that have been taken behind the scenes that never came to light. Well, uh, if you want to bring up risk, let's talk about Caterham. Um, and I believe Ooh. it was Russia with no spare parts. And Kobayashi, like, they're duct taping my steering column to the car right now. And I don't feel necessarily very safe driving this thing. But the engineer's like, oh, no, no, it'll be fine. Yeah, you when especially when you talk about teams with budget issues, <laughs> you really, we probably don't know even a tenth of the risks that we're taking. Well, well, Brad, this is no disrespect, but you're used to driving on a budget. Do you like go over the, the engineering and the car with a fine tooth comb? You know, or do you just have to trust that the guys have, have put your machine together well enough? No, you, you do just have to trust. If you actually want to go driving, uh, if you want to go racing, and you don't have a big budget. You just accept certain things that you wouldn't, I'm sure other drivers would be horrified at. But this, uh, I mean, obviously this isn't cheating. This is kind of potentially in, on occasion the team doing something against the rules, but I wouldn't class it as cheating. It's kind of like a, maybe a safety rule, Yeah, but I, I haven't really encountered that too much, but certainly components will be on cars for longer than they would be a, a bigger budget team or for a driver who's got more money to spend. But I wouldn't generally go out on a, on a track or a dangerous track. If I was worried about the safety of the car, I have one example where the Nürburgring 24 hours back in 2015, I believe might've been 2016, um, we just ran out of tires. The team I was with, we did not have enough tires to put any more on at the final few stops. So I just kept driving until the rubber all came off. I heard a big flapping noise from one tire. Eventually it went quiet and then it, it happened on the other <laughs> side and then it went quiet. And I just had no grip really for the last few laps. When I came into the pits at the end, it was just bare metal on both tires. And I was driving around the north side for flat out like that. So, I mean, budget, budget constraints do enter into it sometimes like that. I have to say, Brad, um, obviously you test tires for a living. So you, you know, tires, uh, inside out. Um, I, I never knew 
until I was about 27 that there was metal in tyres. I had absolutely no idea until I was driving down the motorway in my old Ford Escort. And what's it called when the wheel is kind of leaning in too much? Camber? Yeah, so it was negative like, camber? So one of, I don't, why you would have that on a Ford Escort, I don't know. But the tyres seemed fine because you look on the outside, don't you? You look at the tread and you go, oh, there's loads of tread there. On the inside, it was getting worn away. It blew up on me on the motorway at like uh, 69 miles an hour. And and then I like pulled over to the side of the road. I'm like, whoa, there's like fully was metal was exposed around the middle. So when you can see metal that you've definitely gone too far. Yeah, you're slightly past the um, the usable point of the tyre at that point. Got it. A lesson learned for the future. Um, okay. Uh, in fact, uh, we'll go to the technical stuff first. I've, I've checked with your boss, Brad. You're okay for a little bit on the podcast. I don't want to don't want to cause divorces. No, I'm here now. I might as well carry on. Exactly. Let's do it. That's how I feel. When you're a little bit in trouble, you may as well be a lot in trouble. And when you're already a lot in trouble, that's the time to pile on, tell them all the things you've been hiding, and just do loads of stuff because you can't possibly get in any more trouble. Yeah, that's good. I've got marriage sussed, Matt. I think I'm pretty good at this. Uh, yeah, and your wife completely agrees with you. She does. We should get her on Remain Indoors podcast to talk about what a great husband I am. Me and Matt, talk to you guys uh, who, or anyone who is uh, wanting to hang out with us, a live chat room, exactly the same as this, 2 p.m. UK time on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Mondays. This Monday, we've got Nick Alexander off of the podcast called Books. If you set them on fire, sometimes they go a kind of green, funny color uh, podcast. That's what his podcast is called. And then uh, on Tuesday, we've got Alice Ryan, who's an improv actress and BBC journalist. And then on Thursday, we've either got Dr. Andrew Holding talking some science or Tony Thunderbeast Barnard talking about why he's posting on TikTok pictures of him vacuuming in only a cooking apron. I love Tony Thunderbeast Barnard, um, but I'm going to have nightmares uh, about that video that he sent us on his TikTok. Yeah, understood. Yeah, good. What was my point? Uh, driving. I think we're still on some driving ones. Driving ones. Uh, want your, want your, oh yeah, that's it. We just talked about being in trouble. Uh, Brad, um, the, the, the driving ones that are obvious to talk about are the, uh, the Schumacher championship deciding ones. Um, but actually the Prost Senna, uh, incident when they were teammates and uh, Senna said he did it on purpose. There, there was a lot of, a lot of arguments over that. Um, but in the moment at the time, I don't think people were really thinking about cheating in a way that like, there was a less understanding about the mechanics of driving but when you look on that with modern eyes and especially you and i who talk about the rules of engagement a lot it's kind of obvious whose fault that was yeah i'm going to be pretty unequivocal unequivocal about this i both of those examples schumacher on hill center on prost i am stunned and completely taken aback that both of those drivers weren't just disqualified from the championship for those moves they are obvious, you know, the circumstance around it, the, the context of the specific um, steering inputs, you know, it's extremely obvious how deliberate those things were. And I'm just stunned that they weren't banned. You know, the, the reason they did those things is because although they themselves would be taken out of the race, they were far enough ahead in the points that all they needed was for their competitors not to score enough points. So if they can take them out of the race, they can't score enough points. That's just a clear and obvious, you know, dangerous cheat in both of those examples. So yeah, I, I to this day, am 
amazed that Schumacher was allowed to keep the 94 title and Senna was allowed to keep whatever title that was that he, yeah, I, he deliberately took Prost out for. I wish I'd, I wish I'd made more of a note of exactly like the track, the year and everything. Cause it all suddenly escaped my brain. Um, but do you think that like with modern eyes, with modern standards, we would be able to identify a, a driver ahead in the championship like Schumacher was uh, struggling, having made a mistake and then just driving into someone i'm not even entertaining the it was a stupid move by hill because schumacher was going so slowly you're allowed to just drive past the car and you're not allowed to just swerve across the track and take them out i think that one was worse than actually the one on villeneuve but they were both very blatant yeah that's exactly how i feel and and my opinion is is this it goes one step further even if it wasn't deliberate i don't think you even need to prove intent i think it's negligent enough that you should be disqualified for it. You know, taking out the a driver who is in contention for the championship through carelessness alone is bad enough. But add in the context of that being the specific driver they're trying to beat, it just makes it too too clear cut. I'm pretty sure with the Senate incident, it was a long standing grudge where he felt that Prost had done that to him. And he flat out said, in the same situation, if I'm there in turn one, I refuse to break. And you can do what you want. Uh, guys, should we move on to some of the more the more technical cheats, which is a little bit more of a a murky world? And I, I certainly won't pretend to understand it, Matt. Uh, but do you want to kick us off with an example of technical cheating? Oh, there are so so very many. Um, but let's talk about because it came up recently in an article I read the uh, nineteen seventy six McLaren that was disqualified and later requalified from the Spanish. Grand Prix because it was slightly too wide. And now this was interesting. It was only slightly too wide because the tires had changed, but no other parameters had changed. But they hadn't measured the car with the new tires on it. Ferrari, this is Lauda Hunt here, Ferrari protested the car to get it kicked out. And that has a modern parallel with our brand new friends, Renault, who we agree are all nice now, protesting the Haas car at Monza and getting Grosjean disqualified, where Haas argued that they had been given an extension to complete the revision of some underfloor bodywork that it was ruled did not meet the technical regulation. Okay, so we're into a very kind of, um, like you've gone very trumpets on us here, uh, but we're Sorry. into a very kind of, ah, yes, um, you have a sandbox that you're allowed to play and build a car in, and you've exceeded uh, that sandbox, and we've spotted it as another team, so we're going to report it. Now, those those sorts of things, like is that out and out cheating? If your car is too wide, uh, it could be a mistake. Uh, you could have just uh, hoped that no one will notice. I, I, I'm less inclined to call that cheating. I'm more inclined to call that pushing the limits. Two examples uh, that came up in our Slack group. I'm gonna I'm gonna apologise in advance because I don't think I've got the time to go and. Um, oh, here we go. It was Darren who gave an example of. A, a car where in the regulations, it looks like a very old car. It looks like a 60s car, a red one. Is that Ferrari? looks like a Ferrari. Uh, where they stipulated this, the width the rear wing could be, but nothing in the rules said how many rear wings you could have. So they put two rear wings uh, on a central axle and ran with two rear wings. And I think it might have been Darren again, actually, um, talking about the Michelin's brand. The Michelin tyres during the tyre wars the Michelins would uh, be one size cold, and then when they heated up, they would be bigger and thus give more surface area and more grip. And that was eventually protested 
uh, by the Bridgestone running cars. And then that was the last time that, that Michelin, uh, oh no, that wasn't Darren. That was my own research earlier. Uh, that was, the, that was what stopped Mich- uh, uh, Michelin being competitive and gave Bridgestone the edge. That's interesting. I didn't know that one. I thought it was something to do with the fact that the, the Michelins were too square. Um, so oh. that, so that I, I might be completely wrong. My memory is that they were a very square profile, which gives you obviously more surface area. Then as the race went on, they were wear down to a legal width effectively at the measuring point. And then when they came to be measured after the race, um, because they, they're not generally, I guess you can be scrutineered, but you could maybe scrutineer the car with a different set of tires. I don't know. Um, when they were, checked after the race they were then legal but i'm sure there's countless examples of similar things to that well i think it was carter himself who said that maybe once in his whole career he actually put what would be an officially legal fully legal car on track because there's there's always gray areas there's always areas that aren't specifically uh prescribed i mean a classic example is the tyrrell six-wheel car they just didn't bother to say you're only allowed for four wheels on a car and they said hey you know if we did this we'd have we'd have an advantage so let's do it or the fan cars the skirts on the lotus all of these are examples of things that weren't actively prohibited therefore yeah. the teams thought of them and did them okay so i i again now when we were talking about what is cheating and and what is not cheating i wouldn't put that in the category of cheating i would push that in they found a loophole but it is accepted in formula 1 that when someone finds, they, they do something and the other teams go, hey, that's bad. You obviously can't have six wheels. And they go, well, hang on a minute. You know, I'll go to Brad next, but hang on a minute. The regulations didn't exactly stop us. Okay. So now then, now that you've pointed that out to us, we're going to now ban it. Or the other option is, ah, okay. Double diffuser. We thought that was dodgy. That wasn't in the spirit of the rules, but we're now going to allow it and everyone has to come up and copy it. So I wouldn't put that as cheating. I would say that's actually part of the nature of an engineering sport. So let me just add some complication to this cheating trolley problem. Um, How about if you have a regulation which says a certain component must not do a certain thing? So say we're talking about wings flexing um, and the teams then design it so that when tested, it doesn't do the thing. But in operation, it does do the thing. And then the regulations get changed to say at any time, it must not do this thing, but they've got no way of actually measuring that. Uh, is that then cheating? Would you then consider that as a clear cheat if the Ooh. team is designing a thing to be <laughs> legal when measured and it can't be measured when it's being used? Um, and well, so it, it, you know, bends more than it's supposed to or runs closer to the ground than it's supposed to. Well, we're in, we're almost in the same territory with the Ferrari fuel flow as well, aren't we, Matt? Because, you know, it's like, well, yep. that it was, well. Yep. It was, well, the fuel flow must be this at this measuring point. Uh, and then, and that was the only regulation. But I would say there is precedent, precedent, precedent to the Ferrari situation, which is Red Bull in 2014, where they had the correct fuel flow going past the sensor, but then they had expandable fuel hoses on the other side of the sensor, which meant that, um, it would expand, it would hold more fuel while they were off throttle. Then on throttle, they would have more fuel available to them. That got found out. It got busted and they lost second place, I think, which was then given to Kevin Magnuson. So that there was a precedent set for what, that exact example that Brad has said, which is it is still illegal, even though it's past our measuring point. So that's why the Ferrari thing's still illegal. And no. yeah, no, they actively, they actively 
um, altered the fuel flow meter. They were told during the race that the fuel flow was exceeding the prescribed regulations, and they argued that the measurements weren't accurate and that, in fact, their software measurements at a different point in the engine cycle were the most accurate measurements, and that clearly showed that they weren't. And they refused to alter the engine map that was causing these readings. That's why they were disqualified. The uh, flexi okay. fuel pipes were around and have been around for a long time as a quote unquote cheat. And, and again, it's all down to the prescribed regulation. And this brings up a topic that no one but me wants to talk about, uh, which is my okay. concept that the very nature of these regulations tends to promote this kind of behavior. Because yeah. rather than giving parameters in which engineers must design, you're prescribing specific geometric spaces that things have to fit in. So if I forget something or if I word it poorly, do we all remember when the uh, engine stopped having to be regulated because they forgot to include a date? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I do. Um, once that happens, then you're encouraging a culture where if it's not actively prohibited, I'm going to do it rather than giving a parameter and allowing the teams to find their own best, most efficient way there. And I would argue that this sport might wish to consider, to whatever extent it's practical, adopting the second way is a more useful and efficient way for the sport to go forward. Well, I tell you what, uh, Brad, I think we've we have answered your question. It was a fantastic question, which is: Do we want the the poacher gamekeeper relationship where the the teams, the poachers, can go? Ah, but uh, but you said it only had to be with the correct weight during weigh-in when I had my lead shoes and my jacket on. You didn't say anything. You didn't specify about when I got into the car. Or do we want a set of regulations where we can say, look, Brad, you you knew. You knew you were going to be underweight. So you and everybody else that's done that, we can, even though you technically got past us, we, we're going to punish you. As a competitor, I would much prefer the situation where you can't, you can't get away with a thing like that. So you don't have to stress about trying to find those little advantages. I would much rather all the drive. So in my example with the lead shoes, if the situation was everyone is weighed as they come into the pits. So you drive onto a scale and the driver and cart must have a certain weight. There's no way around it. You can't like stop somewhere on the track and pick up a load of weight. Although I do have a story about that as well. Tell us um, it. Um, so yeah, so that, that kind of thing close it off that potential loophole. Yeah, okay. So I've I've been in a race where I have knowingly lost a piece of major lead um <laughs> during the race. Brad, and I knew I would definitely come in underweight um when I got to the scales at the end. So I had a big celebration after, you know, on the slowing down that and it was a very big track. And I got out of the cart, celebrated, like bent down on the grass, picked up a really big stone, put it in the seat, got back in the seat and then carried on with the slowdown that. <laughs> oh my um, God, that's disgusting. That well, is I, more I, proper money. And I've also seen, you know, you, I've had a teammate who knew where the lead fell off of our, our cart on a, in a 24 hour race. And he just kept an eye on where it was and made sure he stopped on the slowing down lap and got it back on the cart before being measured. Um, but anyway, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a strange situation. You hope that lead doesn't fall off, but having a situation where the teams aren't forced into trying to find the little cheats here and there is much better than than one where it's too easy to bend regulations and no one quite knows where they stand. But I think that is actively encouraged by by the culture of F1. And the fact is, when a team 
gets really kind of caught out, like Ferrari, who who definitely cheated last year. Like they definitely cheated and they definitely got caught with the fuel flow, Matt. Matt, you can shake your head all you want. They, uh, our they, lawyers would like you to show us the evidence where they were definitively uh, caught cheating. Proved, it's been proved, proved, proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that they cheated. Oh, right. You can't because it falls into that same fuel flow. It's that whole same. If they can't measure it, how can it really be cheating? They they definitely ran more. F- okay, here we go. They definitely ran more fuel than the regulations permitted you to do in a fuel flow reading type way. It's all right. It's all right, Matt. No one listens to this. It's fine. Oh, how cool would it be if Ferrari sued us for defamation? I would love that. Oh. That would be the best. Like, please, Bubble definitely. City. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would cost a bit of money, but like, I don't own much of my house anyway. It's very little they can take. And then we can rebuild on the back of the publicity. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely cheated. Um, But uh, that is definitely the common view. And the fact that the FIA then came to a um a, a private agreement sort of gives the game away a little bit. Not in a legal sense, but it definitely sort of gives the game away. Um, but the, the, fact, the fact that they, the FIA haven't stamped down on that, and in previous cases where teams have been shown to very clearly have been outside of the regulations, they, the fact that they haven't then gone, right, get out of our sport, means it's encouraged, Brad. They've, they've fostered that atmosphere of, oh, you do your best and we'll do our best to catch you. Yeah, I fully agree. So it's they're kind of asking for it. Uh, RV Wine on Twitter actually uh, solved it, uh, solved our our missing information earlier about the Senna Prost crash. It was Suzuka, nineteen eighty eight. Yes, of course it was. And apologies to everyone who tweeted a thing, inspired me to put it in the notes, and then I've not managed to quickly during the the course of the show credit you. But some people who replied at Eric um, RW Wine, Mitch. Dinkins, uh, Tweetsport, Perry, Noble F1, Xanax Bot, Mike Stoner, and Matt G. Tim Burgess. Thank you very much to responding to that tweet. Um, Matt, where should we go from here? I think we're near the end of the show. Should we talk about tires? Well, we were going to do a whole nother thing talking about uh, tires and setups in a driver masterclass format. The cheating segment has consumed the show. So rather than drag us out into another 40 minutes, I'm going to reach out to Mr. Philpot and say, Brad, please, will you come on in the next few weeks and talk through with us tire management and setups? Because I know you've been doing loads of that. And uh, I, and actually, with regards to single seaters and the things we hear in race commentary and the things the, that we see the teams doing is very, very relevant. Yes, I absolutely will. Um, I will be back to my key role tomorrow of uh, testing tyres out in the big scary outside world. Vital um, that, but yeah. Will, yeah, absolutely. But I will um, I'll definitely make some time to come and talk setups and tyres. Brilliant. Well, in that case, Matt, what do we do to wrap this cheating segment up in a nice bow? Well, we combine tyres with cheating and talk about how does everyone remember the exploding tyres at Silverstone? Yes, and uh, that wasn't on purpose. That wasn't a dick dastardly scheme where Red Bull put thumbtacks on the Wellington Strait so that they could go back to the the old type of tire. Uh, as I joked at the time, it was not the Michelin Man with an edge grinder on the curbs. But what it was was the teams were given tires because they had changed the sidewall composition this year specifically to make it harder for Red Bull to run their diffuser. 
Um, and the teams were changing, uh, the left and right. And then the direction the tires were intended to yes, be run. Yes. Good point. Yeah. And this came, this ultimately resulted in a regulatory change where the teams from then on had to run to specified pressures and run the specified tires as, uh, Pirelli instructed them to. But it, the, the damage was so great that they reverted to the old tires. And that gave Red Bull the advantage they needed to go on and win the championship. And it's just another example of how yeah. you can use the regulations as an active tool in your pursuit of a win. The Tom quickly asked a question in the chat room. Brad, have you ever cheated using tires? Yeah, I was trying to think about this. I'm Maybe. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't think so. It's quite difficult because a lot of the racing I've done you've had you know the tires are, are whatever comes on the vehicle um so i can't remember any i do know of an example of where well this is pretty controversial but let's just do it anyway i've i've um, i'm going to be sued by ferrari so i think we're, we're over that we've crossed the rubicon okay i'm not going to mention a name but people can probably work this out a a father of a <laughs> well-known former racing driver but reasonably recently former um used to run or own the championship that his son drove in. Oh my and god! No, I, right? There's no way no one figures that out. But okay, let's go. <laughs> and I, I heard uh, we actually owned two of the championships that his son drove in over those years. Um, and and I heard. Uh, so this is entirely what someone told me. Okay, let's get um, saying yeah. that that father was caught in the back of the tire truck changing the numbers that were written in kind of paint pen on the side of the tires to ensure that his particular um, son had the fresher tires uh, because all the tires were like removed, you know, put in the truck for oh, safekeeping. No. Maybe you had to use the same tires over the whole weekend. That's sometimes a rule. Um, yeah. So, and, and he was kind of sheepishly um, caught doing that and, and just kind of made light of it and walked out. Wow. What a, what a thing to allegedly have happened, Matt. Yeah. Well, we have seen a proliferation of regulations. I can't believe I said that consuming uh my usual post show you should stick ahead of to time. squash and coffee like me yeah absolutely i should um th there's been lots of manipulations uh with regards to pressures and temperatures that have been subsequently outlawed where teams would play games with getting the tires super hot so they could put less pressure in the tires so they could run them at the pressures they wanted to run them at and not the minimum prescribed pressures um, and we've also seen that, uh, with the engine usage. In fact, they, there's now certain air temperatures that have to be met, uh, internally inside the ICU, uh, ICU. Did I say that? ICE. Um, because colder air has more density and that was deemed to be gaining an advantage for certain engine manufacturers. I, so I've just realized I've had to, like, it's very all fine and well telling a story and saying, Oh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to mention who it was, but then if you just type it in the live chat, I'm glad I've seen it because I, you can disable the live chat replay. So I'm going to have to do that now. Uh, but it was a good story, but actually, Brad, uh, Matt gone. And of course, my favorite all time cheating, not cheating story has to be the 2013 Mercedes tire test that was both illegal, but allowed. Yes. Okay. That's yeah. That, that it definitely left a short taste in the mouth the the secret pirelli tire test um they were obviously trying to keep it secret with um hamilton and rosberg having you know they were there but with blacked out helmets so they they knew they were doing something people would be upset about for sure 
whether you technically want to say it was allowed or not is another thing. Uh, before we go, I just wanted to, to go back to Silverstone 2013 um, and just ask Brad about why running the tyres a certain way. I had never thought about tyres being left-handed or right-handed. Like, I'm worried about my road car. If I change a wheel, do I have to worry about that? Um, but yes, you, you absolutely do. Really? What? You're joking. Yes, tyres are very... Op- Often directional. You should definitely check that. They it even says it outside on. Um, it should on the be in different. Board. What does it say in black? It should be in like in big neon letters. If that's the case, I never knew that. Okay, well, uh, let me check your tires. <laughs> okay, good. Um, you said to, okay, so I'll share an embarrassing story. Um, we were we were driving uh, at the karting event. I was driving. You were a passenger, and um, firstly, you were warning me about speed cameras, and I was like, oh, oh Brad. I'm a 38-year-old man uh, with two kids. Like, I don't even get close to the speed limit. Speed cameras are are not a worry for me in any way, shape, or form. Um, But then you were like, oh, your tyre pressure light is on. I'm like, yeah, I saw the low pressure thing. And I I see it. And then so I've got out. I've put, like, 50 PSI in the car. It's still there. So I've gone back and I've, like, put another five in each side. I said, I keep putting it up and up, and the light's still on. Yeah, so that that light just comes on to tell you that it's no longer the pressure that you told it it should be because you reset, you press the button and then the car will measure for say half a mile or so how long it takes for each tire to rotate. And that's how it, it sets. It goes, okay, you've set them to 32 PSI. This must be the number, the, the time it takes for each tire to rotate at 32 PSI. All um, right. So the car, unless you've got fancy pressure sensors in the tires, it's working it out using the ABS sensors effectively and wow. how long for each one to turn around. So it's up to you to tell it when they're at the correct pressures rather than the other way around. So I'm glad you were there because otherwise I would have just spent the next few weeks just higher and higher. Well, surely a hundred. That's got to be enough. Uh, but so, so why was it important for the F1 tyres to be handed? And if it is so important, why were F1 professional engineers putting them on the wrong sides, which was presumably causing them to explode which ruined my bet. I had worked from £5 to £95 betting in play on tennis, which I don't understand. I just found a way to bet on it. And I put it all on Lewis Hamilton to win his first year at Mercedes. And Silverstone ruined everything. Once they went back to those old tyres, Vettel dominated after that. But yeah, what what was it that led to explodey tyre gate? Yeah, so I'm going to kind of have to half guess at the exact situation because this is a while ago and I, I don't know the all the specifics, but I imagine what's happened is they, they're they having to use the same tyres for multiple sessions, um, you know, whether it's um, qualifying and then the race or something like that. And so around Silverstone, for example, it's mainly fast right-handers. So the left front, as a, as a key example, is the one that's going to take the biggest hammering um, and the outside edge of that is going gonna, is gonna to be the worst. Um, or, or depend, you know, it depends on the camber and the settings. But whatever happens, if you then need to run that tire again by reversing the direction of it, it's the other side that is going to be fresher. So you're going to have, more, you know, better rubber um, available to you rather than if you just keep wearing the same bit which is already worn. So if you turn them round effectively, you're going to have more tread available. Um, but in the same way that with most materials, certainly metals, if you bend them one way and then you bend it back the other way, it will be weaker. Um, the tires have, when they've been run in one direction, all the materials inside have been stressed in a certain direction. If you then run them the other way around and they go through extreme stress in that direction, it can be more likely to fail. And I assume that's what's happened in that situation. 
Uh, yeah, basically, the teams were discovering that it was quicker to run the tires uh, in in the wrong rotational direction and on the wrong sides and at lower pressures than Pirelli was recommending. And the sidewalls, which I believe they had switched to Kevlar sidewalls, um, were just vulnerable, or they switched away from. I can't remember, but they had more wobble to them. And then there was some discussion about whether or not uh, some of the running over the curbs also contributed to it, but it was a combination of the two things that made for the, um, well, explody disaster that we all remember ever so well. That subsequently led to a reversion to the previous year's tires and an unbeatable advantage for Red Bull. So there you go. Okay, guys, I think that's a fantastic place to leave it. Uh, let's, uh, let's all get back indoors before we get uh, in trouble and lose the permission of our better halves. Thank you so much, Bradley Philpot, for joining us. Driver expert man. You're like our club pro, Brad. You know, you're like the guy we go to for the knowledge. We're incredibly grateful to have someone who knows how to turn a wheel in anger and and tell us how stupid we are. Particularly grateful for all your help um, on the iRacing setups for Mist Apex uh, iRacing. Search for Missed Apex Motorsport. Catch up what we've been doing there. Uh, and we are racing again on uh, February the... Sorry, February. Jeez, where's the time gone? Uh, May the... Next Friday. May the 7th? Is that is that May the 7th? 8th? It's next Friday anyway. We're racing there. But Brad, that wouldn't be possible without you putting the work in, doing laps and laps of the next track and going, what kind of setup can I do that even trumpets and spanners can get around without losing the rear end? Yeah, I, I hope for the next race we've achieved that because there's lots of barriers and things. Yeah, it's the Charlotte Roval. It is very bitey in the corners. Um, you are racing quite a lot. Uh, plug your YouTube channel and where people can watch you doing the the VLN stuff. I know the the name has changed. I keep calling it VLN. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the chance to plug. Yeah, so with that VLN thing, the NLS, Nürburgring Langstrecken Series, is still run by VLN, confusingly. But anyway, yeah, so I've been doing the, the DNLS, Digital Nürburgring Langstrecken Series, um, on uh, on iRacing, which is all broadcast on YouTube. So just check out my YouTube channel, search for, name, for my name, Brad Philpot, and you'll find my channel. Please subscribe. I was streaming all day today, actually. I did five I Formula Renault iRacing races today, all streamed, and thankfully won all of them and have loads of lovely iRating to make up for the crashes yesterday. Fantastic. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Apex Driver Pro, Bradley Philpot. We claim him as ours, Matt Trumpets, at MattPT55 on Twitter. Follow Matt's wife at A Weaver Writes. Uh, she writes romantic novels where all the male leads are inspired by Matt Trumpet. So if you want Matt Trumpet's romance fan fiction, follow at A Weaver Writes on Twitter. Yeah, not fan fiction. That's like insulting, but okay. No, it's definitely is fan fiction. If you are interested in what Matt would be like as a romantic partner, read all those books. I think I think I'm covered. Please don't tell Amanda that I described it as that. I won't because she would never forgive you. Or listen to this show. And she is terrifying. Yeah, women are scary. Uh, follow the show at Missed Apex F1. We've got a Facebook group uh, over there on Facebook. Search for Missed Apex Podcast. I think there's like a thousand people in that group now. Uh, email me, spannersready at gmail.com for any reason. Me and Matt will be back on air uh, at 2 p.m. UK time tomorrow, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday for the Remain Indoors podcast. It's about 
whatever we fancy. Uh, we've enjoyed doing it. We've had good feedback. Um, we'd love to get the numbers up. Come check it out. If you like it, tell your friends as well. Follow me at Spanners Ready. And if you'd like to support us, if you'd like to tell us, go on, what is it, Matt? Is it cheating if they just put it on their feed and download it and don't really listen? Oh, that's completely fine. No, that's fine. Yeah. Don't tell Acast, though, because they will still put an ad on it and we'll get a bit of money for that. So as long as you don't tell Acast, definitely do it. But do listen. It's fine. It's <laughs> In the chat, they've said, 50 quid to shave your head. No, I'm used to my beautiful new locks. You will not separate me from them. But if you would want to support us without making me shave my head, then you can leave us a tip at our tip jar, mistapexpodcast.com. Scroll down a bit. There's a button that says tip jar. There's also a button next to that uh, that says be a patron. Come join our supporters community, or you can go to patreon.com forward slash mistapex and, uh, and support the show. We only survive because people do that. Until next time, guys, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Mist Apex. Well, Brad admitted cheating. Me and him are, like, in deep trouble, legally, I would imagine, I think. I would enjoy a court case against Formula 2 or Ferrari, Brad, so I don't mind. Let's go for it. It's okay. The series no longer exists, so it's fine. That's useful. Brad, I am going to let you uh, go into the distance, enjoy your evening, hang up on the call, have a fantastic time, uh, whilst I catch up with Matt to ask him uh, about the chat room, because the chat room has been absolutely fantastic. And one of them is the winner of... Comment of the Week. All righty, Matt. Let's see. Who has won or who is a candidate for Comment of the Week? Well, this is a very tough one. As always, I like to start at the top with Stephen Cardwell, who chucked a whole contribution into the Super Chat said, here you go, gentlemen, the least I can do. We always thank you very much for your contributions. Thank you. Helio7, oh, you beautiful people. I may be changing a word here or there. I'll have to stick to the audio po- version of the podcast just to make sure my preferences aren't influenced by which <laughs> one of you is the most handsome. Now, I know he means me, but he could mean <gasps> you. So you. I figured we'd, um, I figured we'd just include that as a shout out. And then finally, uh, Mike Stoner, Trumpet's is correct. Trumpets is right. Trumpets is right yet again. Thank you very much Stop for telling it. me how Look, correct I am. Know I love I'm this. Not paying attention fully, and I've only just cottoned on that the last three are just complimenting you. Yeah. So let's move on to the actual contender, shall we? I'll, I'll start with Mike Stoner. Renault is an anagram of late run, which just clever. Okay. Aaron Aaron Margolis. I wrote a nice email once. I still regret it. <laughs> okay. But if you Why? write it to us, you won't, I promise. Spanners ready at gmail.com. Um I Hammer believes uh Beatable isn't even a proper Bond villain. He's at most a mid-tier henchman. So Ooh, is that being I, nice? Is that being I, nice? I don't know. He's at least like the 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 second in command. I think he's at least like he's the bad guy that we follow through the film, but it turns out he's answering to a higher, darker power. Um Michael Dieselhoff. Is in with Danny Rick should be best suited to Renault. He's an Australian, thus he's used to an environment where everything wants to kill him. Australia's bonkers, man. That's why they're uh, all nuts. Um, Joss Vess 
I have no idea what driver he might be referring to, says, I also cheat while weighing when my girlfriend is next to me by holding on to the cabinet next to the scale. Oh, that's no, that's really cruel. But you can follow my advice for lockdown weighing yourself. Absolutely do not. You you know what the scales are going to say. It's not good news for your mental health. Do not weigh yourself. No, it's it's terrible, terrible, terrible. And I certainly do do it all the time and beat myself up for it. Um, Mark Skid is in with and our last candidate tonight. Is that a stone in your seat or are you just happy to see me, Brad, quote, lead boots, Bill Pot? The amount of cheating he admitted to was outrageous. He's a disgusting, terrible, dirty cheat. He's, he's bringing missed apex into disrepute. Indeed. Uh, I suppose I do have to pick a winner though. Would be nice. I mean, oh, remember, uh, remember not being on this podcast. It's been so long ago. Comment of the week is a 10 minute segment. Well, you know, I mean, people love comment of the week because we're talking about them. So I'm just, it's, you know, fan service. Tell me who won. All right, fine. It's going to be Michael Distelhoff. Danny Rick should be best suited to Reno. He's an Australian, thus he's used to an environment where everything wants to kill him. Well, that's the, that's the wrong, that's the wrong bumper. So I try again or just give up? It's, uh, I just okay. give up. Now, there we go. Thank you very much, Michael Distelhoff, for your slightly Australianist comment. But it's also true. So if Australia wants to sue us, they can get in the queue behind F2 and Ferrari. Uh, well, there we go. That's a good place to end the show, Matt. I think apart from the lawsuits, we got away with that. Yes, I know. And, and the lawsuits will bring their own fantastic oh, publicity. I know. So we'll probably win. so anyway. cool. Like I've already like I've mapped out like my angry speech I'm going to make on the steps of the courtroom. This is uh, depending on whether you win or lose, didn't you? So you need a victory speech and uh, this is a victory for the small people. The truth will out or I'm being oppressed by the something, something. And I'll use the word bourgeois in it and it will just be it will be my moment in the sun. It'll be great. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to we're going to go. I think we get out of the stream uh, and we get out of here. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.